18. The fool, the fool says there is no God. The fool says in his heart there is no God. They are corrupt. corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become, become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. Have they no knowledge, all the evildoers, who can eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call upon the Lord? There they are in great terror, for God is with the generation of the righteous. You would shame the plans of the poor, but the Lord is his refuge. Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion when the Lord restores the fortunes of his people. Let Jacob rejoice. Let Israel be glad. bow our heads. Father God, be with us today during this worship service. Give us the strength to hear your word and what you are saying. Let our hearts be changed to understand more deeply your character, your will, your desires for us. Be with all those who are here today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 1908, Sussex, England. The town or near the area of Piltdown. A discovery that would change the world occurred on that day. Charles Dawson, a lawyer and amateur archeologist, and Arthur Smith Woodward, a paleontologist, was brought in. They discovered what was claimed to be the missing link between ape and man. The discovery was a human-like skull and an ape-like jawbone along with some other fossil fragments that they claimed were 500,000 years old. During this time, this collaboration between Dawson and Woodward, it significantly influenced scientific thought on human evolution for decades. It led credibility to the field of paleoanthropology, and it fueled the public interest in human origins and evolution. Between, or I should say, but then 1953 occurred. This thing, this event that had the scientific community all behind it as an uproar, just understanding it as great knowledge that we have, we have gained, was then revealed as a hoax. For 50, almost 50 years, it was seen as the truth. 
And then it was discovered that the jawbone belonged to an orangutan and the skull was from a human from medieval times. The motives for the hoax remain somewhat unclear. It could have been the desire to be seen as someone important in the scientific community, but we'll never know. What we do know is that Darwin's theory of evolution was a catalyst behind this. And then it was totally undone when it was revealed to be a hoax. For almost 50 years, many great men put their name behind this and propagated it as true and real, and they were shown to be fools because of it. Because they were using it to prove what they believed was the theory of the origins of man. Today in God's word, we talk about another type of fool. Verse one of Psalm 14, this is a Psalm of David. Unlike some of the other recent ones, this is not with regard to a specific event in David's life. Although we do know that in the first book of the Psalms, this first section, the vast majority of them are all by David. This psalm, verse 14, is, is, almost a, is almost completely duplicated by Psalm 53, except for verses 5 and 6 in Psalm 53, which are slightly different, be, different because it is a different occasion for that psalm. It is Israel is being besieged at that time in verse 53 and so forth. But when you run into 53, you will see, you'll say, hey, it seems like I've read this somewhere before. And you have read something very similar. If we look at this verse 1, the way it is constructed, it is a factual statement that starts out, the wicked fool says in his heart, Uh, That heart is that idea of the place of all being and humanity for a person from Hebrew thought. It is that where the soul is located at, it is where the entire being of the person is. But this factual statement that David says is the wicked fool says in his heart, there is no God. This statement that there is no God is from their innermost being. It is a denial of God from their innermost parts. And then after that statement that is made there, there's the description of what these God deniers look like. They act corruptly. They commit abominable deeds. There is no one who does good. So when you see a person that acts like that, they are a fool that says there is no God. They are not dense, they are not stupid, they are not uninformed, they are not unintelligent. These are ones that have seen the clear evidence and said no. I would consider Psalm chapter 10 verse 4. 
the wicked in the haughtiness and of his countenance does not seek him, does not seek God. All his thoughts are, there is no God. Now I would like to add in this, uh, to, 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 to focus us a little bit more on this, verse 1 that for the ease of the English language, we have included the to be verbs of there is. In the Hebrew, there is not, there is. It literally says, the fool says in his heart, no God. It is a forceful statement that would say that a person has examined what is out there and says, no God for me. They have denied what is clearly what they see, to allow themselves to commit their abominable deeds, to their corruption. No God. They are morally bankrupt. They are ones who sin without regard of the damage that they leave in their wake. They want what, what their, they want and get what their wicked hearts want. With great arrogance, their hearts are set in stone against God and his people. They are corrupt, and there is no good within them. We're just taking a side and just understand that no good works are done by anyone without Christ Jesus in their life. There is no such thing as good works done by a non-believer. There is no hospital that is built by a non-believer that is good. It is done from the seat of pride of man that these things are done. You might not like me saying that. You might even have relatives that have done such a things. But without Christ in your life, there is no good that is to be done. That is a truth statement from Scripture itself. Because no one does good, none do it. Romans chapter 3. Their evil ways of these here are, uh, they, not only do they have evil ways, but they are controlled by evil. They are ones that would be outwardly humble to gain the advantage and cut the throats that they take the advantage from. They are ones who are outwardly religious so that they can get business gains. That used to be very popular in this country that you would belong to a church so that you can make connections in business. So that you could sell real estate, cars, services or whatnot because you were part of a church. It was sort of like going to work for a state farm or something, that that's what it was like. You were, you were a member of a church so you had access to all these people and because you were part of that body, whether it was true or not, they would say, oh, do business with so-and-so because he's a member of the church. Similar people are described here. Outwardly religious, but curse the true ways of God, and they curse his counsel. They look to spoil, to ruin, and to corrupt. And they bring along others in their wicked merriment, in their wicked entertainment with them. They are ones who say that they are their own gods. We remember back to Genesis chapter 3. It starts way back there. You don't need God. You can be your own God. These are those similar types of people. The ones that say that eat of the tree along with me, join in my sin with me. 
There are ones like today that would say, we mentioned last week, that abortion is health care, that men can be women and vice versa. Because no God. They are so corrupt that their corruption knows no bounds or limits. One need only look back in our uh, recent past to the Obergefell decision and we'll see how corrupt sexuality has become in the United States and how corrupt those things uh, have become to the point that even to the degree that people are pushing for the legalization of pedophilia. People left to their own devices who say in their hearts there is no God have no limit to the corruption and to the level of corruption that they will go to. There are no bounds for them. They are the ones that not only claim evil is good and good is evil, but stand in approval for all those who join them and would be against anyone who is against them. They are taken over by shameful behavior and revel in the same behavior of others. They act in lewd manners and encourage others and children to do the same. They are fully controlled by the devil and don't even realize that they are. They're not doing outward ceremonies with pentagrams and midnight masses. They're those useful idiots of Satan himself. There is no God. What they say in their hearts. They revel in getting large numbers to join in with them in their denial of God and to join in their wicked devilment. And all those that agree with them are their friends. They are the ones who look at the cross and say, A fool died on the cross. never seeing the God who saves. They are complete fools. Were they to experience one minute of hell, they would repent of their ways and encourage others to do so. Yet that is what they are bound for. But they look at the warnings of Scripture, they look at God's word, and they scoff, and they laugh at it. To them, there is no judgment, there is no accountability, there is no hell, They are foolish, like the people that believed in the Piltdown Man. They looked at Piltdown Man and saw exactly what they wanted to see. Something that could approve, that could prove that there was no God. It was by accident that everything happened. To them, these these fools in this first verse, There is only the here and now and nothing more. They are the secular evolutionists of this day that affect all, and I should say affect, I should say infect all levels of education. They are ones that treat the theory of evolution as the fact of evolution, with no evidence to point to it. They are the ones that claim life comes from non-life. Theories have become facts, and these facts have become the law of the land for them. 
They're also the ones that seek wealth at the expense of others. They are the ones that cry freedom, but in turn are enslaved to the devil and don't even realize it. Romans 3.11, which I referenced before, there is none that seek the Lord, no, not one. Without the Lord's intervention in someone's heart, there is none that would believe and none that would follow rightly. We see evidence of some strange behavior by people in 2 Kings. I only throw this out here. It's just a fascinating verse, 2 Kings chapter 17, verse 33. It's interesting the way that it is, it is constructed. Uh, they were, it says, they were fearing the Lord and serving their own gods according to the customs of the nations from among whom they had taken away into exile. They were fearing the Lord in word only, not in deed. For they, were they to truly fear the Lord, they would have cast off these other idolatrous worship methods that they did with these other gods. Any fear of the Lord that they had was tempered by their worship of false gods. And in reality, they are proving that they don't believe in God at all. Now, you may have seen or anticipated what is coming. The Apostle Paul exposits this psalm, specifically this verse in Romans chapter 1. He takes that psalm and he says, and this is what we see. And if you would turn to Romans chapter 1, hopefully we will find some edification of God's word here. Romans chapter 1, verse 18 and 19, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness because that which is known about God is evident within them for God made it evident to them. You see, they are suppressing the truth. They have seen the evidence and they are suppressing it down so they don't have to acknowledge it, so they can do what they want to do, so that they can be their own gods. We do similar things when we excuse our sinful behavior ourselves. We say, when I excuse my behavior because of what I'm going through right now, by the way, whatever stressors you have, whatever difficulties you have, do not give you the excuse to sin. And when you do, and you excuse it because of what I'm going through right now, you are saying there is no God. And that is a lie. Here in this verse, as I go back to the verse in Romans chapter 1, verse 18, it has been revealed to them what is known about God is not only evident within them, for God made it evident to them. Look at verse 20. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, both his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. Those that deny that there is a God have no excuse to stand upon. There is no way they will stand before the judgment seat of God and say, but I didn't. There are no buts. 
because it is clear. Their motives will be revealed before that judgment seat. Their desire to sin over what God has desired will be revealed and will be their undoing. The evidence is clearly there if I look at a tree or a bird or a dog or a baby or the moon or the universe. In our heart of hearts, no one truly believes that two rocks smacking together brought life about. When I believe things like that, it's because I want to be my own God. I want to make my own rules. I want to be my own Caesar. And that's the danger that we see. These are, in what Paul is saying, are the atheists, the God deniers, who David is referring to. Therefore, they are fools. It comes from the, uh, the Hebrew word Nabal, who we see in 1 Samuel, verse 20, chapter, excuse me, 1 Samuel chapter 25, verse 25, we see a man named Nabal. And it says, please do not let my Lord pay attention to this vile man, Nabal. For as his name is, so he is. Nabal is his name, and wicked foolishness is with him. So David and Paul would say this wicked foolishness to suppress the truth and their desire to be their own God will be their undoing. They have exchanged truth for human wisdom. Notice further in Romans chapter 1, Verse 21, where it says, For even though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the likeness of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. What we see here is worshiping things that were created, not the creator. Therefore God gave them over in their lusts of their hearts to impurity so their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than, than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. The foolishness that, that, that infects these God-deniers, will be their undoing. Notice how, to a certain degree, or what will happen then, is for this reason, in verse 26, God gave them over to dishonorable passions, for their females exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. In the same way, also, the males abandoned the natural function of the female and burned in their desire towards one another, males with males committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of error. This is the sin of homosexuality that is there, that is right, in, uh, right front and center there. And as they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them over to an unfit 
mind. To do those things which are not proper, having been filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, violent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, and unmerciful. And although they know the righteous requirements of God, that those who practice such things, that list that we see above there, starting around verse 24, and although they know the righteous requirement of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but give hearty approval to those who practice them. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. The question is today, for part of the, some application that we can look at this first then, is that are you denying God's truth? Have you seen the evidence of God's goodness and then deny that he, what he is doing? Have you seen his hand in your life and are now questioning what he's doing? Are you excusing your sin because nobody knows the situation that I'm in? That's why I do it. Have you tasted of salvation and wonder if it's true? Have you felt the Holy Spirit in your life and, and indwelt in your heart and wonder if you are truly a new creation. Just some questions to ponder. Verse two of Psalm chapter 14, we will see their actions that come about. Yahweh looks down from heaven upon the sons of men to see if anyone who has insight, anyone who seeks after God, they have all turned aside, altogether they have become worthless, there is no one who does good, not even one. Do all the workers of iniquity not know who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call upon Yahweh? From the heavenly places, the Lord sees all and knows all and examines all men and women of earth. Much as he examined them in the time of Noah. And we know what occurred then. From his vantage point, he can see truly and rightly what is happening. Linked to the past verse, in verse 1, they act with corruption. He examines with weights and measures that are perfectly just and true and equal to see their unequal weights and measures that they use. He can see their acts of wicked deeds. He can see that none show insight or have knowledge or acknowledgement of who the true God is. They say that there is no God so that they can go about doing what they wish, seemingly, from their point, without consequence. Running their own ways, they look and prosper in their wickedness. These are the ones that teach their children the same things. Do you know what a blessing it is for a child to be raised in a household of believers? 
or even for a child to be raised, raised in a household of believers or of people that don't believe but take them to church every Sunday. It is a gracious act. It is a judgment that we will see, unfortunately, for those that are raised in godless households. These people have chosen to not look anymore at God's word or examine any more of God's word or learn from God's word or what is required from the law. They have frankly, the little they've seen or whatever they've seen, they've said no. I don't need God, I don't need his law. Ezra, on the other hand, would demonstrate the right way to proceed with God's law. Ezra chapter seven, verse 10. It says, for Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to practice it and to teach his statute and judgment in Israel. We can take that to heart too, to to practice it, to teach it, to understand the judgments, to think rightly about the Lord in right orthodox thinking. Orthodox just meaning right thinking about who God is and what is given in his word. Verse three there says, they have all turned aside. They've come up against God's word. They've come up against God's requirements and they've turned away. They have deserted his word. They are keeping themselves away from his commandments and his direction. The result is they have become corrupt and morally filthy. These are the ones that drink of their iniquity. They drink of their sin like we would drink of water. They have no desire to understand God. They have no desire to seek after God. They have no desire to practice God's law. They would have been ones that have heard and looked, uh, seen God's law, and decided, my way is better. God doesn't, the God I don't believe in, this is just foolishness. It means nothing. It's just words on a page. Yet God sees all that they do. Verse 4. Do all the workers of iniquity not know who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call upon Yahweh, do not call upon the Lord? These are the worldly materialists, the ones that look around and say that this is all that there is. That's what a materialist is. A materialist isn't the person, we aren't talking about somebody who's just gaining things. We're talking about somebody who says all these things that we see, this is it. There is no more. There's nothing after this even though every part of their being inside of them testifies the fact that there is something more. They suppress that truth. Consider Jesus' words when he was tempted in the desert. If you would just turn to Luke chapter 4. Starting in verse 1, now Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was being led around by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. 
and he ate nothing during those days. And when they had finished, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Now, he's appealing like a materialist would. Just take of this, eat of this, do this thing. But Jesus says, answered him, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. Man shall not live on bread alone. Whereas these wicked fools seek only after those things they can touch, seek, and feel, touch, touch, see, and feel, instead of looking in the direction in the satisfaction that is found in life in God, consider Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. passage Jesus referred to in his temptation. And he, the Lord, humbled you and let you be hungry and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of Yahweh, of the mouth of God. Rather than finding sustenance in the bread of life, that is God's word, they seek their sustenance in their sinful ways of iniquity, and they become experts at it. They rob and steal to satisfy the lust of the eyes. They destroy God's people. They are haters of God and lovers of sin. They look to the words of the Lord and see foolishness there rather than the truth that is there, and they prefer to seek after the wicked desires of their hearts. Paul tells us back in Romans 1 about the ruin that befalls those that seek after their own ways. These ones that have seen God's attributes clearly and have no excuse, that they are given over to that darkness of heart, that they are given over to exchanging the glory of God for materialistic pleasures and perversions. They are consumed by their passions in ever-increasing amounts. And death will befall them. Perhaps you have looked around the world and you have been like Asaph in Psalm 73 and perhaps you see the ease of which the sinful and the wicked seem to get along in life. Maybe you felt jealousy for those things that they have. How the God deniers seemingly get the promotions, how they get ahead in life, how they have the big house and the big vacations. And maybe you have even thought it would be easier to be like them. These types of thoughts must be put to death. It is God can gift us with many things. 
God can give us houses, cars, jobs, whatever that is. We must be careful that those things do not consume us. We must be careful that those things don't catch our eye. And we gaze upon the things that we own and they become our idols. We gaze upon the house, the vacation, the car, the job as the thing that becomes our God. It can happen that quick. We must always keep our eyes fixed and focused on God. We must not, we must be careful that in our actions that we are not inadvertently becoming God deniers. We must remember the great inheritance that we have. We must consider the salvation that is ours through no work of our own. We don't find hope in the things that we have. We find hope in that which was given to us by God himself, Christ Jesus. A question then, do we find joy in God's will or do we find it burdensome in our lives? John chapter 17, verse 3, this eternal life that you may know the only true God and Jesus whom sent you. If you are a believer in Christ Jesus today, you have that. Romans chapter 15, verse 13, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will bound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 21, who through him are believers in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Not in your possessions. That leads us to the last three verses, which is that patient, trusting hope in God and what he has done. It says there, there, uh, there they are in great dread. And we will just pause for a moment that sometimes the wicked feel the guilt. Doesn't mean they're saved. But sometimes they feel the great dread that is around the corner for them. At times, they will understand that they are on the precipice of eternal damnation. That without the love of God and the hope that is found in Christ Jesus and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, that they are standing upon a cliff ready to plunge off into an eternity of God's wrath. Yet that does not stop them. They keep on with their foolish ways. But it says in verse five, the second part, for God is with the righteous generation. He is with those who seek out his ways. He is with those who trust in what he is doing. He is with those who cry out, I believe, help me with my unbelief. He is with those who worship the only true God, he is with those who seek out his excellence and his moral excellence. His ethical ways are found in his righteous will. Found in Christ Jesus, that's where you're at. Verse six, you would put to shame the counsel of the afflicted, but Yahweh is his refuge. 
The wicked would look upon the afflicted and see nothing of value there. However, those who are afflicted in this life can find refuge, can find the strong tower that is in the Lord. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 10. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 10. The name of Yahweh is a strong tower. The righteous runs into it and is set securely on high. Look at verse 11. A rich man's wealth is his strong city and like a high wall in his own delusion. Before destruction, the heart of man is haughty, but humility goes before glory. The warnings about denying God are everywhere in the Scripture. Verse 7, Oh, that the salvation of Israel would come out of Zion. When Yahweh restores his captive people, may Jacob rejoice, may Israel be glad. He restores the ones that are captive. He is the one in whom hope and joy is found in all circumstances. We remember Joseph in prison, trusting in the Lord. If we look at the example of Paul in prison, trusting in the Lord in all that is going to happen. Do you believe those things? That he is with you in all circumstances. So in difficult times, when you're surrounded by God-haters, God-deniers, those who seek after their own ways in a sinful world that is seemingly ever-increasingly sinful, that it seems to be that the, that, the, that the brakes no longer work, that the accelerator is being pushed to the floor to even more and more levels of sin and depravity, that on all of our media outlets we are being encouraged to go for, make, if it makes you happy, pursue it regardless of the, of the consequences. You deserve to be happy. By the way, I find that nowhere in Scripture. When you look around and see, see, me, see me that, that, that everything is falling apart, where are you looking? Are you looking to your bank account to save you? Are you looking to the promotion to save you? Do you go out and gaze at the, at the brand new car you bought? Wow, look at that. Look at what I did. Do you think that that's going to save you? Do you look at any affliction that's going on in your life and say to yourself, I wish this wasn't happening to me? Because I'm going to tell you, it's sinful to do so. Because if it's happening to you and you're found in Christ Jesus, it is exactly what is meant to be happening to you. And we are to rejoice always. Again, I will say rejoice. That is a command in all things. Do not look at envy at your atheist friends who seem to have it easy with their soccer on Sundays. Strive to keep that upright heart to keep focused on the things of the Lord, to keep him your central focus. Follow the ways of the Lord. Be an example of Jesus in serving others 
even to the point of self-sacrifice. Find joy through the Spirit and following God's ways so that you are found in the kingdom of light and not in the eternal darkness, in the gnashing of teeth. Consider these verses in Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22 and 23. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22 and 23. The loving kindness of Yahweh indeed never ceases. For his compassions, his mercies never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. His mercies, his compassions are new every morning. Now understand this. That doesn't mean that the compassion, the mercy that you experience tomorrow morning is the same compassion and mercy that you've experienced this morning. They are new every morning and they are enough. That for believers, his mercies are new every day. And we can find joy in that. Consider that this lamentation, the time it was written, children were being consumed for food. And this particular passage lands in the scripture during that period of time. His mercies are new every day. We will see those mercies demonstrated in our own lives as believers when we cry out to the Lord in our affliction, when we cry out to the Lord in our joy. For while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He gave us a new heart and a new life. We are new creations. We are fit and being made fit for the heavenly places. Found outside of Christ, you're only worthy of damnation. But found in Christ, you have received wisdom that the world does not see or receive. You have received mercy and grace that the foolish God-haters do not know. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Starting in verse 25. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of this, wor of this world to shame the wise and God has chosen the weak things of this world to shame the things which are strong and the base things of the world, and the despised God has chosen, the things that are not, so that he may abolish the things that are, so that no flesh may boast before God. But by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption, so that just as it is written, let him boast, boast, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. I heard Steve Lawson say this week that God will bypass the gifted and go to the godly. 
He will bypass the gifted for the godly. Our lives should be marked with godliness. And I beg that you would trust in the Lord and not your own understanding, that you would look to the glorious risen Savior as your hope and salvation, that you would trust in the Holy Spirit is guiding you and being filled with the Holy Spirit. That means being filled with God's word. That means being consumed with God's word. To not look with envy at the world, but to look with complete joy at that Jesus who saves us. Understand that the last lines of this psalm, that salvation comes through Christ Jesus, and that we might rejoice and be glad in it. Put your trust in Jesus. Look to Jesus for everything. Don't look to those things that are around you that God has gifted for you. Look to God. Look to Christ in the salvation that he has brought to you by no doing of your own. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for that Holy Spirit-inspired word that we get to consume as that bread of life. Let us understand that your word is life-giving to us, that without it we are nothing. Let us trust in those words that we do not live on bread alone, but by the word of God, trusting in the word of God, believing in the word of God. Be with us through this day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.